I believe everyone has a story to tell. Through seeking true, authentic insights about the entrepreneurial journey, I provide a platform for our peers to share their stories and inspire those that listen. This is the County Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions. From that sort of early days and that commitment, I think it just, yeah, I think I just showed that I had what it takes really. I'm, you know, it, it was hard, it was tough, and there was a lot of sort of sacrifices. You know, I wasn't tough enough. I didn't quite have it mentally. It was something that I had to look at. Uh, it wasn't something that came naturally. and. Um, and I needed to ha- ask for help because within a year, you know, I was standing on the top of that rostrum in, in Barcelona at the Olympics. And I always say, you know, as much as 70% of it was in the mind that got me there on that day. You know, it's about believing in the process. And, but you have to know what that process is. And that is probably my low point of my whole career, you know, being... You know, you are your reigning Olympic champion and you're getting carried off the track with a, you know, torn Achilles tendon. I suppose one of the the one regrets that I might never have, I'm not sure I ever really celebrated, you know, the real highs of being an Olympic champion or a, a world champion because you're so scared of failure. You're so scared that you're only ever as good as your last race. You're back on that roller coaster and you're back out there. You can only ever do your best that you can do. And if that's good enough on the day, then fine. If it's not, that's still the best version of you on that day and be proud of it. But do you know, one of the biggest things I've learned, I guess, over the years is, you know, to actually be myself. And seeing amazing places while I was reading amazing books, while I was with amazing people and occasionally with most you know, beautiful women, I suppose. Um, and that, was, that seemed to me the way to live. But I, I wanted to see the world while it was still there. And I'm really, really fucking glad I did. Mm. So I had a Mont Blanc pen and I went to about 10 countries and I wrote a book. It took me 349 days to, no, less than that actually. About 310 days to write it. I was in Perth in Australia, Sri Lanka, Pakistan. All of these mad things happened to me. But I wrote a book with a pen, you know, and that's probably the greatest thing that I own is that manuscript. Um, And then three days before I travelled, I got a phone call from the organisers really good friend now and said um, we've decided we, we're we going to let you invite Steve Wozniak you, you can have this game for $250,000 give you 51% share you know what I mean as long as you get it you know spend the money to get it licensed and all that yeah. stuff uh, and we said no so turned down a few billion on that and that one <laughs> it's, it's, it's a book my best friend died about five years ago me and his sister put his ashes on the Ganges the year after that and after trying to work out what my book's going to be about, what my book next book's going to be about, um, I'm just going to write to him and wow. say, I miss you, man. But he was too ill to travel. Oh, so I couldn't do it. That's, that's a regret. Yeah, 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 that yeah, is yeah. a mofo regret, I'm telling you. So they took me to the family doctor to say, look, we're new parents, you know, is there anything you can do? And the family doctor said, well, we can sedate him if you want, so you can have a rest. You've just got a problem, child. The way it transitioned was that my love of physical movement and activity translated into sport. I'd had dreams of going to the Olympic Games ever since I was six. And then when the scoreboard came to life, I saw uh, GER third, GBR fourth by the narrowest of margins. 
And, you know, you can, you can ask independent sources as to whether they thought, I mean, my opinion was we were robbed. And at the time, it was a samurai sword of pain. And the emotions are, are very, very painful. And, and anger, frustration and blame, you know, that for me was the, the hardest lesson. But also the greatest gift, because the next four years after those games were the hardest of my life. We just managed our state, you know, and the way we did that was we were not taking it too seriously, but we were really focused on our performance and the process. When we got up on the final of the Olympic day, my unconscious mind had been there so many times before that I was able to remain cool, calm and collected. We don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stop playing. When I got to about the age of six and seven, my, my parents separated and uh, my mum had a breakdown. One minute she was in my life and then she wasn't. She was in the hospital or um, she moved around and had a very, it's a polite way, but a tempestuous relationship. Mm. So we, I, was, I was quite a mixed up kid. So oh. my, my teenage years of schooling um, were essentially a write-off. I was really, really angry, and I won that pitch. Wow. And I got that telephone call on the day that I took my son home from hospital. So it's like, well, now is the now is the time. I'm doing this for you, mate. Yeah. No stopping me. Um, I did that for a couple of years, and then <laughs> polite client decided to stiff me for about 15 grand. And suddenly, out of nowhere, I had nothing. I felt like a massive failure. That was a really, really dark time. Mm. I felt I'd let him down. I'd let my dad down. The darkest, darkest places. Because I thought I was going to be bankrupt. We'd lose the roof over our head. What sort of... I remember thinking my son would be better off without me. Because what sort of role model would I be? Because I was a failure. 96 men um, under 45 lost to suicide every week in the UK. It's three times higher than women. And the that that's that it's because men don't talk. That's why I ended up getting ill going to those dark times because God forbid I'd put my hand up and ask for help. Wasn't in my DNA. It saved my life. But him wow. making me ill made me stop. Otherwise I probably wouldn't have stopped. Okay, I just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors. Preston Insurance Brokers. Insurance is all about peace of mind, making sure that you're protected no matter what. There's no such thing as one size fits all, which is why Preston Insurance Brokers take the time to understand your business, how it works, and how all the pieces fit together. Because they understand your needs and whatever risks your business faces, they can offer you bespoke insurance cover to help your business grow with confidence. Always safe in the knowledge that should the worst ever happen, they'll be here to help you weather the storm. Protecting businesses for over a decade, Preston Insurance Brokers will ensure that you're always in safe hands. No one on the team have been looking after all my business insurance for many years and offer a truly fantastic personal service. To find out more, contact the team at www.prestoninsurancebrokers.co.uk. Your business, your insurance. So go back 30 years to find a black female prosecuting barrister was quite incredible. And 
I thought she was awesome. I just remember watching her thinking, I want to do what you do. This, this is it. That was my epiphany. It sort of ignited something in me. I just wanted, I oh, sounds really lame. You, I want to see justice being done. I loved the firm. I absolutely loved the firm. But I couldn't do things how I wanted to do them. And that's when the slight non-conformist in me started to rail against, well, why does it always have to be done like this? There was no point leaving one traditional firm to start another traditional firm. So it had to be different. And this was my opportunity to do things my way. If you open the doors, the clients will come. And I just stuck to that, absolutely. It's kind of blind faith because it had to work. There, there wasn't an option because they fear that they won't be good enough or that they won't get the work or the clients won't come or they won't earn the money. And that's proved the hardest challenge. But we do work to live because we have to sustain ourselves and our families, yeah. but that is not all there is to life. And it's so important to, to, to kind of walk the walk as well. If the writing wasn't all on the wall, it was certainly on a newspaper page. <laughs> it was perhaps destiny that I would take an early interest in journalism, in the media. But I said, no, that's not for me, because I thought that would mean I would have no time at all with my family, which was important to me. Mm. Um, and so I got a nice letter back from the editor of the Sunday Express saying, I can't believe you turned down a job. You'll never work in Fleet Street again. I had two dreams, I think. Um, one was to get to Fleet Street, and the other was to work for myself. I don't want to guarantee you, I don't want to scare you, but from what I'm seeing, I'm, go and get it checked out, because I think what you've got is MS. Um, so that was, um, that was tough. Yeah, I've got MS. It's, it's part of who I am now. Um, it is my journey through life. Um, it's not going to get any better, you know, we know that MS is a debilitating disease. The reality is that probably for a couple of years I, I was in a dark place. Mm. Um, I didn't want to talk about it. I met um, Linda Bloom, um, uh, Linda and Tony Bloom. Mm. Uh, Linda Bloom um, had MS, has MS, um, and she um, has uh, been fighting it really successfully. She set up a charity called Overcoming Multiple Sclerosis, OMS, um, thanks to the work of a, a really inspiring um, consultant in Australia who has MS. Mm. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that, whoa, you know, there are so many things I can do to keep this at bay, um, keep it in check, and, but I've got to have the right attitude. MS is a very personal thing. It attacks people in a different way. Yeah, sure. So for me at the moment, um, you know, the battle continues. Um, the battle is being waged and, um, you know, I continue to have the upper hand. And when that's not the case, well, hey, so be it. You know, the real things that become important are for me, and I'm sure the same for you, Sam, is, is family. You know, having um, sons who, for me, sons who are healthy, um, who have got good relationships, who are happy in life. Um, that's so much more important than how much you want your bank account. As part of um, 
leaving school at 16, I was also, uh, it was suggested that I actually leave home at 16 as well. My, my, my dad passed away two or three years ago and, um, and I looked at it, I thought I spent a lot of time, I probably spent a lot of time as an angry kid, um, but, or you know, angry, teens and 20s or whatever as an angry person, but you can look at it two ways, you can either say, was, was he being exceptionally harsh? Well, I'm sure he was at times. Uh, or was he suggesting, did he see something in me that suggested that maybe I would be better off forging my own route in life? Um, I'd rather, um, I'm at peace with thinking it was the latter. Mm. Uh, with the row particularly, you know, there's some times you just, when you're just in your thoughts. I've put at peace the fact that I don't need to challenge myself, not don't have to challenge myself anymore, but prove myself. And, and, and I remember sort of um, saying to myself, um, if that's not effing good enough for people now, then I really don't care. What's your one rule for living a fulfilled life? Can I give you two? You can. The first one is actually from that 12 Rules to Life. And that is judge yourself from the person that you, against the person you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. And that's and that's one. And then the second thing is give more than you take. I'm really passionate about now is um, is kids' access to the arts generally, but music in particular, and that's that's very personal. I found my place, and um, and actually growing up in Australia in the seventies, eighties, um, uh, as you know, I didn't know that the, or wasn't conscious of it at the time, but as a gay kid, um, uh, finding my place there was really important. Yeah. This is a very special organisation, and uh, and I. Um, you know, I stand on the shoulders of, uh, of those who came before. It's, um, it's grown up over a long period of time. The festival started in 1967. But figuring out how a, um, how a large organisation can actually have a bigger impact on its community and serve its community in all sorts of ways mm. um, is really what has, uh, has made me tick over the last decade or so. Mm. The definition of the business is about bringing people together. Yeah. Um, you know, everything that we do is designed <laughs> to, uh, yeah. to get a load of people in the same space and that was the very thing that, uh, that COVID prevented. It's amazing then to think actually it sort of was October 2021 before we were, um, before we were back open in the concert hall. It's a journey back for the audience because uh, you know, 2020 totally cancelled 21 was a socially distanced festival 22 we were back but uh, but still um, at a slightly smaller scale and, uh, 23 feels like the moment where we're um, where maybe returned to something which is uh, much more reminiscent of the pre-pandemic years so um, yeah that's exciting what is your one rule for living a fulfilled life? Ultimately, most people, the vast majority, I think are trying to do good things and the right thing. And uh, and if you hold on to that somehow, then it gives you um, faith and energy in, every, in everything else. You can, you can make things possible after that. Um, so, yeah, optimism and have faith in people.
Okay, I just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors, EMC Corporate Finance. Trust must be earned, especially in business. It goes both ways and takes time to build. That's why you need an advisor with a proven track record who understands its value and more importantly, the value you place on your business. EMC Corporate Finance is built on a legacy of trust. For over 30 years, they've been advising and supporting entrepreneurs, guiding them through the challenges of private company ownership. Whether you're looking to raise investment, accelerate growth, or crystallise value with a profitable exit, the team are here to help. So if you're ready to take that next step, let EMC be your guide. For more information, go to www.emcltd.co.uk. I grew up in East Anglia, in a really small town uh, on the coast of East Anglia. Uh, my parents emigrated from India um, in the sort of late 60s. So in East Anglia, we were the only brown family in town. So that was kind of my life where I grew up. So I was always different, essentially. So I worked my way up in corporate. I was vice, global vice president of sales and marketing for a FTSE 250 company. You know, I had a big global team. And I had a moment where I was like, is this really what I want to keep on doing? It felt like the world was falling apart. It felt like businesses didn't know what to do and there was always scrambling around. And we knew a lot of women in their stories where they'd asked to work remotely and the bosses had said, no, your role isn't possible remote. And overnight they made it work. So to create a really inclusive culture, it takes a lot of introspection to look at how you communicate, how you work, how you deal with anyone who's experiencing challenging behaviors, how you encourage people to have challenging conversations with each other with people who are quite different to them um, how you progress people in the organization you know what does your leadership team look like are they all quite similar because if that's the case then that's reflected in the organization i still hear stories about um let's give you an example women being made to sign ndas and given some money to shut up and go away there's quite a lot of that you'll be surprised. Um, and then and obviously you don't hear about that because they can't talk about it. So many things about our society need to change. So there is a positive story about change, but there is so far to go. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I want to be in, I want to be in hospitality. Something else that happened to me emotionally when I went into that that, that, that restaurant or that hotel mm. for our posh meal and that was was something that sort of rose within me it, it, it was like I really love the feel of this of, of, of hospitality of this environment and I love what it's doing to my senses 14 years later because I was 14 then by the time I was 28 I was a, a general manager of a, a 90 bedroom four-star hotel you know I'll be 58 this summer and so 30 years on, um, I'm at the ground. I mean, y y you know, it's, it's a fairy tale, really. And I, 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 don't, I don't have regret. I've got a little bit of experience of what it feels like when suddenly the phone's not ringing. And I've got a little bit of experience about what it feels like to shut a hotel and then reopen it. Mm. But nothing, nothing like the um, winter, spring of 2020. But we got to business just falling out like falling out from around us literally we want all restaurants shut up by nine o'clock on friday the 20th of march but hang on a minute it's thursday afternoon the 19th of march 
I've got food in fridges. I've got people on rotors. I've got customers um, booked for this weekend and into subsequent weeks. Yeah, closed from tomorrow night. So I went over and I um, said, you know, Mr. Gallagher. <laughs> and I said, um, I'm Andrew, I'm, I'm general manager of the Grand. I just, literally, I, I, I just wanted to, first of all, say welcome to the Grand and I hope you're okay. Secondly, just wanted to shake your hand, if I'm honest with you. He thought I was out of earshot, but I was still in earshot. And he turned around to his manager. I can't say exactly what he said because it's a <laughs> podcast. But uh, so a bit of an expletive. Next thing I know, I get a phone call one day. Um, I know you're a big fan, Andrew. Ricky Gervais is in the restaurant. And he was doing his tour at the Brighton Centre. He'd just literally come in for lunch. Now, what happened in my mind at this point, Sam, I'll never quite understand. Which was actually a tough period of my life, actually, because I lost my sister to... Well, she was actually diagnosed, and then subsequently I lost my sister to breast cancer over that period of time. So it was really, really... I just remember it was a really, really tough period of my life because I was actually diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Um, people don't actually always realise what the symptoms of ovarian cancer are, and often people describe ovarian cancer as a silent killer. And then they CT'd, scanned me, and they came round and they said... Um, well, you know, we found these large tumours in both of your ovaries. And then a few days later, I just couldn't move and I got taken in as an emergency and basically one of the tumours had burst and I ended up going in as an emergency operation and having, obviously, the ovaries removed. And that's when they actually confirmed that it was definitely ovarian cancer. So we were really excited. We were due to open. There was new life on the way. It was like a new start. And then boom, you know, it's like you never know quite know what's around the corner. Because what's the choice? I mean, you know, the other choice is to lie in the gutter or to look at the stars. My marriage broke down. So I lost. I gave up a well-paid job. My marriage crumbled and I was on my own. I was used to earning big money Mm. um, as an employee and uh, the only option left to me was to start my own business and I did it with two grand of borrowed money on my credit card. I got a load of business cards, a 10 page website and I networked like hell. I ran away to Dubai, hence being at the Burj, Burj Khalifa. I ran away from debts, problems and life in the UK. It, it was a considered move to throw myself off the Burj Khalifa. Mm. I'd gone on the internet to look at painless ways to kill yourself. One of the reasons why more men than women kill themselves, 75% of suicides are male, because mm. we don't ask for help. Actually, business is not important. Money's not important. There's two things I've found in life that are important. One is the health and one is your um, relationships. Because it isn't all about acquisition of wealth and money. Mm. And, and there is the reward involved with an orphanage over in Albania. And just taking some Christmas presents there with the little ones up to five years of age. Mm. I mean, that, that is just as rewarding as growing a business to 15 million turnover that I did once in the past. Perhaps we just need to redefine what success means. Okay, I just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors, Creative Pod. It all starts with an idea, the kind of creativity that wins hearts, changes minds and drives new behaviours. Creative Pod is an award-winning, full-service marketing agency that work with their clients to become their outsourced creative department for a fixed monthly fee. 
For almost 20 years, they've been offering clients a full service approach in everything from branding, PR and social media, to web development, pay-per-click and print advertising. They've been County Business Club's outsourced marketing agency for over a year now and have been a real game changer for us as a company. To find out more, get in touch with the team at www.creativepod.uk.com. I've never really socially fit in. I've always been just outside of like popular circles, which is... Um, had a massive influence on me as a teacher but also like where I am now and so when you're growing up in a household where the parents just it's toxic and it wasn't a great framework um, for my relationships regardless of the relationship that I have with my mum and my dad individually and my brother Mm. stressed have a drink sad have a drink happy have a drink party have a drink we're like constantly surrounded by parties you know i can't really remember a time where there wasn't alcohol in my house like i told you i've had the dream of the black market since i was 18 Mm. and the reason part of the reason why i've picked it up and i've put it down over a lot of time over the years is really because of the ingrained kind of messages that I have I used to joke with uh, in fact I still do with um, one of my best friends Zoe we should have been dead at 15 trauma headlines are I was sexually assaulted by another child when I was 7 at school Um, it was a connection through the horror convention circuit that we got through to John met him in London showed him what we put together um and he was like, you're crazy, kids. You're crazy. <laughs> but it's the 25th anniversary and, like, next year. So this would be perfect. Like, you can only do it with my... Let me help you. I'll deal with the Universal Studios. So branding was really at the very start of trade, really. Uh, so you had that signifies where it comes from. And this signifies what it means. And the salesperson in them, in the trader, would tell the story. A a brand is about reputation. A brand is about what people say about you. It's not about what the company thinks it's telling you. It's actually if other people around you say, that brand is good, try it. In a way, I've I've had, you know, it's been a roller coaster. Some things I've chosen to do have been successful. Some have been failure. But you learn from the failures as well. To find your true ikigai, you've got to kind of, you know, what are you good at? So imagine a Venn diagram. That's the Venn in the middle. What are you good at? You know, what do you love? Uh, what's the world need? And what can you be rewarded for? If you get all those in harmony, that's your ikigai in the middle. And that should be your personal brand purpose. Jeff Bezos, who knows a few things about branding, <laughs> yeah. he's the one who said, you know, a, a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. And, of course, what he's saying is it's true. Brand is about reputation. It's not about what you tell them. It's about what they say about you. That we're not from an entrepreneurial background at all. Mm. And so the fact that we've both ended up in this area, I think it, it, it's quite unusual in mm. some ways. There was always something that was, what if? Mm. Um, or what, I think it's that, what if it doesn't work? And I've always had the approach of, why wouldn't it work? 
that's my probably my one piece of advice to sort of husband and wives. You, you do have to have the backup plan. You have to decide, right, if it's not working out, which one of you is going to go back into a permanent job, or you start it with one of you, you build it to a certain point before the other one joins. But we've lost the business. <laughs> was it, the, the, it was as bad right. as that. So when the pandemic started, we basically lost 90% of our income overnight. 2020 was brutal, absolutely. I mean, if you're yeah, you're selling office furniture to people that aren't in offices, that's a, you know, I challenge any sales <laughs> bird. We've always looked at it as you might not share our surname, but it ultimately it's a, it is a family business. I think team team fit, team culture and, and nurturing that mm. is a huge part of, of, of our yeah. success. We didn't have the easiest sort of up- upbringing, mm. and that uh, you know my family weren't exactly uh, flush with cash. Uh, there was lots of times when there wasn't even sort of food on the table. I say I think it's fair to say that you know we, as a family, we we did we did struggle, mm. and uh, it it took me sort of years later, sort of going through therapy to sort mm. of process all that. That's always been one of my mantras that wherever I've worked, whoever I've worked for. Mm. is I do the job to the best of my ability. So I started Rubik's. And 1st of September 2020, I had converted. We've got uh, like an outbuilding at the, uh, the back of the garden. I'd converted that into my office. And the sun was shining. And it, was all, it was all good. And she took one look at me. And she said, what have you done? And I said, what do you mean, what have I done? Mm. And she said, what, she said, I know you've done something, she said, just, t- she said, just tell me, she said, I, I haven't got time for it. And I said, well, I may have just bought another company. <laughs> and so it was, yes, it was a leap of faith as well, of course it was. Mm. Um, but go big or go home, right? <laughs> I started to recruit and started to recruit quite heavily. And you know, we went from, if you can imagine, we went from me on the 1st of September, just being responsible for myself, mm to very quickly we had 23 staff if you had to choose one what piece of advice would you like the listeners to take away from that conversation tonight nobody said it would be easy they just said it'd be worth it i just wanted to say something about one of our sponsors plus x i've been a member for over two years now and the podcast studio here is the home to the county business talks podcast brighton is the perfect location to create build and grow a business with role models and inspiration at every turn. It's no wonder that this has become a hotbed of innovation and entrepreneurialism. So if you're building your future here on the South Coast, there's no better place than Plus X Brighton. Seven stories of cutting edge space, expertly designed to support all kinds of business from newly started freelancers to large established corporates. With flexible, dynamic environment, ranging from co-working desks to private studios, Their specialist facilities include a state-of-the-art prototyping workshop and media suites. They also maintain a community-focused event schedule and offer all kinds of business support programmes. Built for anyone who wants to make a change, PlusX has everything you need. Find out more at www.plusx.space. At the age of nine, my parents break up. So that was a big thing. Um, my dad leaves the house. At the age of 12, my dad uh, came back and said, listen, I'm um, moving away to Canada. I want you to come with me. I've learned English and became one of the top students first year. 
Um, and that's the beginning of the mindset that defined me until this day. But a lot of racism, a lot of bias, a lot of, you know, a lot of pain mm. uh, that came with it. You know, like a master degree. I wasn't successful. You know, broke up with a girlfriend, lost the house at that point in time, uh, lost one of my best friends. And uh, one thing led to another. So I've kind of, oh my God, I mean, you know, failing in everything. I was in a dark place. Um, I was depressed. Uh, things were not working out. At some point, I'm kind of hit rock bottom, and it, it was either, I don't know, potentially you know, prison or, you know, or all sorts of stuff, you know, and or break away and uh, have a clean start. But that was the moment that I've decided that my life has to change, and this is the way I'm going to change it. But the mindset and the resilience were there, so they kind of dictated my my steps and, and, and obviously coming back home I'm going to be the best in whatever I do even in the chicken counter I'm going to be the best chicken counter boy ever it's the mindset that defines you it's the mindset will help you conquer the world this is it you will find a way it's the goddamn mindset Karino, that you need to equip yourself in order to make it in this life the most eclectic family that you could ever imagine surrounded by complete unconditional love I'm a bloke that fell over a lot without a plan and then eventually got a break you sometimes get carried away with everything will be alright and that's the theme that's run through for many years after that I'll always be alright which mm-hmm. I believe I've, I've got no fear because once you've gone through certain things and you've worked it out, it too shall pass. Everything will be alright. Just surround yourself with good people. Resilience is the need on a pursuit of something to take a punch or a kick or a fall and get through it. It's alright. Go again, go again. So long as the pursuit's worth it or the right thing to do, you've got to take a knock. And you have good days and bad days. But I'll always look for the best in every day and I'll deal with the bad thing knowing that it will pass. So we got we got a hat-trick of disasters that happened to us within a period of three years. But it's definitely my why and it's definitely why I got through the MBO failure. Because there's a bigger purpose to life than, than just business, right? So if I, if I kind of get to where we are now, I love it. I'm loyal to our culture and you'd find it hard for me to talk badly about anyone in my team. We're on the same page, we're on a journey, we're all at different parts of our journey. We know where we want to go, we know what success looks like, we know what failure looks like. Without getting all cheesy about it, it's life's snakes and ladders, isn't it? You want to live to your hundreds, you're going to have ups and downs, you're going to throw a six, you're going to throw a one occasionally, but the game keeps going. Just enjoy the ride, right? This is the Counter Business Talks podcast, produced by H2 Productions.